I often say that addiction is the result of not knowing how to find safety inside of yourself. So you find it in something else and understandably you get hooked on it because you're desperate for safety. That's all you're guilty of. Any of you looking to learn more about supporting addiction recovery through a trauma-informed and somatic lens and a nutritional lens, please join me for my addiction circle. This is a bi-monthly, entirely free, virtual circle that I invite anyone here to come and join if they want more information. Addiction tends to be so steeped in shame, and I find that doing this work in a community of people helps to destigmatize that shame so you can see how not alone you are in the experience. So whether you are personally withdrawing, preventing, experiencing relapse, or you work with people who are actively addicted or in recovery, all are welcome. The next Addiction Circle will be held on Tuesday, May 7th at 5 p.m. EDT. This meeting is not recorded for the sake of anonymity. No registration is necessary. Just join through the link below. Hey everybody, this Tuesday I am beginning a bi-monthly offering called Somatic Drop-Ins. This is a live, virtual, one-hour, free offer where you can come and learn somatics with me and practice in a group, ask questions, and just connect. It is by donation only, so you can pay what you have or pay nothing if you have nothing right now to pay. Um, you do have to register for the event, but you don't have to pay anything if you don't have the money for it. So please visit my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and just click on events, and you'll see the virtual somatic drop-ins. Again, the first one is this Tuesday, February 7th at 4 p.m. Eastern. Hope to see you there. On today's episode, I navigate how comfort can interrupt humility. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast, where we discuss every aspect of life through the lens of somatic psychology, nutrition, and self-inquiry. My name is Luis Mojica, and I'm a somatic educator who teaches people how to find safety inside themselves so they can better navigate this strange and sensational human experience. Your time to learn begins now. Today's uh, episode is not fully formed. This this topic is not something that I, I talk about a lot. It is fully felt. And I felt it in my body really since I first learned about paganism when I was, I think I was 12 or 13, um, thanks to the craft. <laughs> and I, I remember then just getting this sense of... Um, awareness of how much of our society and our comforts are built against nature to keep the elements out, whether it's to keep the cold out, whether it's to keep animals out. And obviously, there's nothing wrong with this. This is called survival, right? And I see modern progress and the building of cities and roads and cars all as survival responses, like how can we continue surviving? And it, this, uh, okay, so let's be, I'm going to be abstract today, just warning everybody. So this morning, um, I have a, a Jeep 
and there's a key fob, you know, one of those those little things that you double click and it's supposed to turn on your engine to warm, warm up your car. I live in the Catskill Mountains. It's extremely cold here. And so on like a negative five degree morning, it's really nice to double click that button and the entire car is de-iced and is warm and the seats are heated, all these things, which I've never experienced before. We were gifted this car last year from my parents because they got a new one. And so I've been really enjoying this feature. And today when I went to do it, it didn't it didn't work. It's something and it burnt out and it's no longer you know, warming up for me. And I don't know why, but it made me laugh. It made me really giddy. And while I was laughing from my body came just these words, you know, which, which were, oh, does comfort interrupt humility? And it took me back to a very early memory. I was about 16 and I was deeply infatuated with Joni Mitchell. And I was watching many of her interviews because whenever I fall in love with a musician, first thing I do is I chronologically purchase their albums if they're, you know, an older musician, so I can kind of feel the the growth of the artist. And then I watch their interviews so I can just study them and get a sense of them and kind of osmotically feel their wisdom from their words and their body language and their face and such. And I remember this particular interview I don't know why she said this, but the interviewer asked her some question and her answer was, we have become perverted by peace. When a society is given too much peace, it becomes perverted. And I didn't understand what she meant, but I felt it. And this is so not political. <laughs> the, the last thing I care about are politics. And I think everyone knows that. And that's why some people love listening to me because I just don't, I don't go there. That's a whole other trap that I'm not willing to walk into for my own ego, not even, um, not even publicly for my own mental health, I should say. Uh, but when I think about the idea of peace perverting, I, I, it again, it takes me to the practice of humility. And it takes me to the term human supremacy, which I've spoken about before. But I'm just fascinated by this concept. Because when I think of my ancestors, my indigenous ancestors, who were living within the elements of nature that were threatening, whether uh, animals, you know, predators, scarcity of food, I think of their rituals. I think of the offerings they make. I think of how every moment was woven with gratitude, partially for just the felt, I'm assuming, right? For the felt sense of, oh, I'm eating. This feels so good to be sustained. Thank you, beans. Thank you, squash. Thank you, fish. You know, all the, all the things that wherever these ancestors lived on whichever lands they had their foods and animals and, and land relatives they would thank for their sustenance. And also for the reality of, I don't know if this is going to happen tomorrow. I don't know if I'll eat tomorrow. I better give something back to appease you know, the spirits, the land, the ecosystem, whatever it is, so I can ensure my survival. And in that reciprocity of I'm going to worship, I'm going to give something back, I'm going to dance for two hours to make it rain, 
there's a, a humility being practiced. And the humility is that I'm not the center of the universe. It's that this isn't here for me. It's here with me. And I remember when I discovered that myself, um, I was, it was, how old was I? 25, I want to say 24, 25. And I had just moved to Woodstock, New York with Eamon from Brooklyn. And when I, when we moved to Woodstock, we actually moved to this little town called West Saugerties. It's not even a town. It's like a line of houses that that's that are right at the foothills of a mountain, about 800 feet up the mountain are these line of houses. And we lived right on what was called the Plaque Clove. Um, really very powerful place. Um, also known as Devil's Kitchen because there would be these paths that looked like you could walk on them, but they were moss and grass that grew over shale rock. And if you stepped on them, it would slide and you would fall to your death. And it was the highest population of copperhead snakes in the Northeast area. So it was called Devil's Kitchen because there's all these ingredients of death, essentially. And when we moved, we, we had very little money. I spent an entire year and saved $4,000 by literally eating nothing but beans and kale and brown rice and uh, coconut butter as a snack while I lived in Brooklyn and worked at a health food store. And when we moved upstate, I had this $4,000. I used it for my security deposit. I paid the first month's rent and then we had enough money for second month's rent and we felt rich. We're like, whoa, look at us. We have a whole month's run ready, which never happened for either of us. And what we didn't realize was how cold it was upstate. When you live in New York City, you are uh, gifted with radiant heat that is free. The steam and, and the, the systems of the city, it heats up your house for free, your, your apartment. So you're in your apartment and it's 10 degrees outside and you have the windows open because the radiators are so hot. So that was my experience of living in the city. I never thought about paying for heat. I never even thought about being cold. Even in the city, you walk outside, it might be freezing. You can duck into a coffee shop for two hours and warm up. On the Platte Clove, if it would snow, you would be stuck in your house for hours, sometimes days, depending on your your vehicle. We didn't have snow tires. Like we had no idea what we were getting into. And so that first winter, we didn't have enough money for heat. Um, and I found it out the hard way. I turned up the heat to like 75. And the bill was so high, we couldn't afford it. So we lived with our heat somewhere between 55 and 60, which for my body is no bueno. This Boricua likes heat. And Eamon actually... She does somewhere in the middle, but you know, I think all bodies like heat, but my body really likes heat. So I had to turn the heat down and we developed this kind of like old disease or expression of the body known as chillblains, where the, the, the little capillaries in your fingers and toes literally rupture from being so cold and you get these really painful, itchy blisters and it can become infected. And my fingers were so swollen from playing my piano late at night. We were also living by candlelight to save on electricity. So we were kind of like pioneering it, if you will. I remember making a stew in the kitchen with a candle. <laughs> 
and uh, the flame from the, you know, from the propane, thank goodness, which was very affordable, but just freezing and wearing jackets and scarves and, and Eamon got chillblains on her toes. And I think my point of this is I started learning, oh, this is what it feels like to have humility. This is what it feels like to have comfort. There's this gratitude for a warm sock. There's this this gratitude for the springtime and when the sun hits the house and it's warm for a few hours. And there's something very beautiful about that external reminder of my mortality and of how I'm just part of the equation. I'm not above it. I don't deserve more than some other being. I'm with you. And my possible death is just as probable and equal to your possible death. And something in that for me is very grounding. I appreciate it. It relaxes me. I experienced this when I didn't have money in the city and I would go days without eating a really proper meal. We would eat, um, we would get a dollar. I lived in a hostel and we had a little tip jar. And the tip jar was actually for the staff. So people would rather know it was an internet jar. So it would say like 50 cents per 20 minutes. So guests would put a couple bucks in, they would use the internet. And then the staff would go and open that jar and we would use it to eat because most of us didn't have any money. We were living in a hostel and working out of it for rent. And right below us was an old Chinese bakery, which was amazing because Chinese bakeries in New York City have something called day-old bags. You pay $1 and you get a bag of like five to six savory and sweet pastries. So we would literally live off of that and dollar slices, which is like, you know, you get it for $1, you get this giant slice of cheese pizza on St. Mark Street in the village. So I went through these periods of not eating normally like I, I would and being really hungry and really cold, but just so grateful for my freedom in the city and to be around such brilliant minds and meet new people and and relinquish the confines of the suburbs that I had grown up with and let my brain unlearn so many things. It was so, that sustained me and that warmed me, even though I didn't have the comforts I was used to. So where I go with this humility piece is, I don't know, those of you listening, everyone's going to have a different experience. When I think of the world I live in, where right now my cabin is like 75 degrees inside, it's 20 degrees outside, and I have a car, and I have lots of friends, and I have a great computer that I can do this through, and I teach courses sitting in my pajamas, and I make great money doing that, and I I feel so comfortable that I notice if I don't have a practice of self-inquiry, if I don't have a somatic practice of gratitude, I can very quickly get perverted by my comfort and my peace. Meaning, our traumatized nervous systems, our activated nervous systems create what I call trauma egos. Trauma ego is when the mind is 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 dead set on finding a problem, finding some kind of threat, whether it's a threat to your life, a threat to your social connections, a threat to your job, whatever the threat is, the mind's job when it's traumatized is to find threat. It's not going to stop at any cost. When we don't have 
actual threat, when we're not living in actual survival, and I don't just mean working two jobs, I mean like pagan survival, where you must build your own fires, build your own homes, find and hunt for your food, grow your own food. We are so divorced from that. If we're not, if those of you listening are not, you've probably chosen to live off the land. It's a choice you've made, not the way you were brought up. If you're listening to this and it was the way you were brought up, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear some of your wisdom and, and input. Like, Please write, write to me. But I guess what, what fascinates me about this is when we, when we consider, again, the comfort with, with the trauma ego, and there's no actual threat anywhere, the mind starts to create threats. The mind starts to, and this is where the perversion piece comes in, the mind gets a bit perverse. And it makes things threatening that aren't. It might mean I posted something on social media and no one comments on it. And the mind just explodes and the body ruptures and the activation surges through us. That's a perversion. And I'll tell you why. When I say perversion, by the way, I could be using the word wrong. I use words wrong lots of times. I'm much more somatic these days than intellectual. I used to be a great intellect, um, a great intellectual. But when I say perverse, I, what I really mean is a bit distorted and confused, incongruent. And so that trauma response, that adrenaline rush, that is a gift from my ancestors that literally needed it every day for survival. All of you listening, our ancestors needed that adrenaline to survive. And that adrenaline now gets overcoupled with situations that aren't threatening. So someone doesn't like me. Someone believes something different than me. Someone says something, someone misgenders me. Somebody, I mean, people always uh, racially profile me incorrectly because I'm so white expressing, but I've never identified with being white. I'm a mix of Latino, Irish, and German. So I've always felt Puerto Rican Irish is what I believe because I'm, I'm more cultural than I am color. That's part of my decolonizing practice. But so many times people will be like, how does it feel to be a white cis privileged man? And I'm like, do you know my anything about my background? I have no, um, I have no personal body experience being a white cis privileged man, but I am seen that way. So yeah, I get away with certain things. I'm very aware of that. And I'm saying all this because those moments could be ruptures in my body, and a humility comes in that says, Luis, you have pause. You are sitting in a heated room, learning. I'm, my mind's going back to this moment where we were doing, when I was training for somatic therapy, the trainer looked at me and said, today we're going to work on um, social triggers. So we're going to ask you, Luis, how does it feel to be a cis, white, hetero, privileged man? And I said, I don't know because I'm actually mixed. I was born intersex and I'm queer. And she flushed red and had no no idea because she just saw me and ex, you know expected something onto me like we all do. And I felt this thing come through me, like this moment that I could be really angry and like put her in her place. And then the humility came in. And I said, whoa, this rush that's coming in, 
My ancestors used that rush to shuck sugarcane when they were nine. My grandpa, mi abuelo, was working in the sugarcane fields. He told me it was like uh, sugarcane plantations, I should call them. He said that it, it was 110 degrees and he was nine years old. They had no money. They would cut the sugarcane all day long, which is a very hard thing to cut. Then they would chew on it and suck the juice from it for some carbohydrates so they could survive the next day. That's what his adrenaline was used for. And here I am in this situation with somebody completely profiling me, not seeing me, not asking me who I am, but telling me who I am. And I felt that same feeling as if a bear was charging me, as if I was going to starve and go hungry. And these things happen a lot for me, not just that, but anything where I feel that rush come in because I'm triggered. And then the humility comes in. The reminder, Luis, wait a minute, this trigger is going to be perverted. It's going to be used against someone. It's going to amplify your ego. It's going to give you authority to oppress or put someone else down the way they're doing to you. And the only reason you can even use it for that is because you are privileged as a human being. It's because of human supremacy. Like I have time to spend eight hours in a heated room on the 34th floor in New York City, practicing learning how to feel into my body, right? Because I have been so comforted growing up. I haven't had to be in the elements. I haven't had to use my body. My adrenaline hasn't gone to survival. So my adrenaline goes toward these other things. And I'm not sure who needs to hear this message. To me, it's a pretty cool message. It might make no sense to you. It might not even reach you. But it's something I really want to bring in because in the, in the, the, how do I say that the lifestyle of comfort, modern comfort, when we're specifically separated from nature, this is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about class here. Class is still within the, the human species culture we've created. It's a construct. And it affects people for sure. I've been in different classes. I know how it feels. I'm talking about pagan survival, where there is nothing between you and the elements of nature that could kill you or nurture you. We are so void, we are so divorced and separated from that. Our society is essentially a big wall against those elements, which is why we've been able to thrive, just like animals will thrive in our house more than they will in kept in um in, in the wild, right? So I'm saying it's interesting to me that in this amount of peace that we're given, our traumatized nervous systems won't allow us to feel that peace. They will instead disorient us from our reality of peace and reorient us toward a possible and expected or a projected threat. I will focus all my time on the injustice of a situation and miss all the justice in my own home of the heat coming through the heaters, of the sun shining through the trees, of air in my lungs. And this is not a call to um, bypass pain and, and trauma and others and injustice at all. It's a call, if anything, or an, an offering or an invitation, if you will, to um, not match it to see it and then remember, wait a minute, wait a minute, can I tune to my comfort? 
can I feel the humility of without this comfort, I wouldn't have the time to even care about these things I care about. And why that's important to me is it grounds us into our bodies. Because then we're able to experience this modernity, this, this, modern, this modern comfort in a, in a somatic way that nurtures and expands our capacity so we don't get triggered, so we don't go off the deep end, so we don't oppress and hurt other people, so we have capacity to tolerate sensations of other people's suffering, of other people's difference. So we get to, in a peaceful world, which if you watch the news, you're going to say, Luis, what are you talking about? But look at your world right now. This is for the individual. This is not for the collective or the global. This is for each person listening here. Look around right now. Not at your mind, but at your surroundings. And let your eyes show you if there is a threat in front of you right now. Not a discomfort, not an irritation, not an annoyance, not an inconvenience, a threat. And most of us listening to this, looking around, will notice there is nothing here right now that's threatening my life. In fact, if we really look, we'll see how many things are here supporting our lives. Let's do that together. I'll share what I'm seeing. I'm seeing my phone here and how this phone, which I, I resisted for so long, has connected me to so many beautiful people. I couldn't, couldn't even begin to think it could do that. And it, it has. It's changed my life. I'm looking at a window that allows me to see trees and a, a running creek and sun coming through the trees. And I'm so grateful this window gives me a sense of ease and peace that I can look out and see the beauty of this land. I feel the saliva in my mouth, which tells me I'm hydrated. I drank water an hour ago. I have water that's clean. I'm sitting on a chair that allows me to not use my muscles to hold myself up. I'm talking into a microphone. I have a ring light that makes me look healthy and attractive so I can do these videos and, and feel confident. There is so much supporting my life here. And I could easily orient to something someone said to me on social media. I could easily orient to something happening politically. I could very easily orient to pain and shootings and any kind of any kind of injustice and, and violence going on throughout the world. And when I orient to those things, I practice bypassing these things. And bypassing these things is the modern equivalent of my ancestors eating and throwing their food out and saying, oh, there'll be more tomorrow. And not doing a ritual of gratitude. Not staying humble in orienting toward what sustains them. When we orient toward what sustains us, we live in a state and in a practice of gratitude. And in a peaceful society and a peaceful life, when we are not fighting for our lives every day, we get to actually experience somatically the reality of our survival. And then we get to notice the difference of a real-time moment of threat, which will happen to us even in you know beautiful modern worlds. We will experience threat. And with a somatic conscious practice, we'll also experience the absence of threat. 
And by noticing those two things, we start to notice that these moments of threat are drops in an ocean of peace and tranquility. And instead of that peace becoming perverted, because, okay, well, where does this survival energy go? Oh, it's going to go toward you know negative thoughts or judging people or watching the news, right? It gets reoriented. So the peace doesn't drive my adrenaline to a place to make chaos for me. Instead, the peace relates to my adrenaline. My adrenalized nervous system starts to settle because it's feeling the peace. And then I'm able to show up in the world, say what I want, be who I am, and feel safe while doing it, not relying on the outside world to tell me I'm, I'm safe or it's okay or now I have permission because I'm orienting toward what sustains me. So I thank you for spending this time with me. I love just letting my mind unfurl with you. It feels so safe because I'm in my body while I'm doing it. I feel very, I feel very sustained and I feel sustained by you. It's a privilege to have people listen and spend time and witness. And I'm, um, I'm endlessly moved and in honored honor and in gratitude when I get your letters and your emails and I see the reviews you leave on the podcast. It just touches me so deeply. So um, I would love to hear where this practice takes you. Thank you so much for joining me. So that's the end of today's episode. Notice where you feel the episode inside of your body those sensations, those expressions. That's how your body speaks to you. Sit with it, be with it, and let whatever wants to come up, come up. Because all the wisdom you're looking for is right there in those sensations. If you want to go deeper into these practices or find more information about my work, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. I'll see you next time. Hello, everybody. It is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. 
How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups. Or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there.